Well, welcome everyone to another show of Nerd Unscripted. And uh, all of you who are here live, welcome. Thank you for the good mornings and greetings and all of that. I really appreciate it. And today I thought we would pick a different rabbit hole to kind of dig down into a little bit. Something that I think about a lot. Um, <laughs> my cat is at the door. Um, I, I've always been a thinker, as long as I can recall. Um, even when I was a little kid, I spent a lot of time just kind of thinking and pondering about things. And my approach toward that is very similar to my research style in that, excuse me, I just um, take in a lot of different types of knowledge. Because um, everything is, uh, well, not everything, but there's a lot of things that I find extremely fascinating. And so I'll, you know, I'll read on a topic, I'll research it pretty heavily, and then just kind of let all of that mix and ooze together in my subconscious. And then that combined with curiosity has produced some really interesting uh, results in different things that I've researched over the years, uh, primarily from the perspective of uh, bringing connections together where you put two and two together in a way that you never thought you would put two and two together. And I've really been grateful for that over the years. And it's led to some really interesting experiences, as you would imagine, um, because I'm always asking why, you know, and really looking for patterns. Um, that's why I like studying people, <laughs> because there's, there's patterns in everything. And uh, it's those patterns that really make me um, probably the most curious. Uh, because from the perspective of patterns, uh, there's something that we see over and over again. And I've touched on some of this before. Um, but I, I remember I was taking um, a friend of mine, John, to interview for a job. And of course, he now works for us. He's uh, uh, the manager of our toy store. But uh, this is years and years ago, way before um, any of that. And uh, I was sitting out waiting for him to interview. And he was in there for maybe an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And I was just sitting there and I was watching um, trees just kind of blowing in the wind. It was a light wind and they're swaying back and forth. And as I was observing that, there were several different things that started firing off in my thinking. First was the sound that the rustling of the leaves made um, stood out to me. And so my brain went to this thought of, you know, we have um, different types of trees with different size leaves and fruit or nuts or whatever on them and can they be identifiable solely by the sound that they make with wind blowing through them at a specific um you know speed uh so that was one place in my brain when i remember very clearly because i've revisited that thought uh many times but the the more uh i guess profound if you will uh, thought that stood out to me was the um, the whole idea of of branches and flow, and I talked some about this last week about um, 
you know, how branches work and um, how they are prevalent in pretty much everything that we can see or do, um, whether you're talking about humans or animals or plants or, or weather or whatever, there's all kinds of branches and stuff. But even that led me to um, some different kinds of patterns and things like that. Um, one of my favorite topics of study is language and, of course, genetics, which um, I'm getting ready starting this Thursday to teach a course on genealogy um, that should be a, really a lot of fun. And uh, so genetics, uh, language, and then vibration, you know, and how are all of those together? And just to kind of give you... Um, just an idea of some of the things that I think about. So today is going to be a little bit random because that's really how my brain works. Um, but like I'll think about things like um, uh, language, for instance. Let's just take a phrase like, um, uh, I don't know, um, maybe a phrase like, I am abundant in all things. Okay, that's a good phrase. I'm abundant in all things, something that I believe about. And so we can, so bear with me here, think about this. This is just something to ponder. So I say that phrase, I am abundant in all things, and I'm speaking the English language, you're hearing it in English. So I'm saying it, you're hearing it. There's a constant vibration that's going on there based on the words that I'm speaking. Each word has its own vibration. Okay, so keeping that in mind, if I said the same thing in another language, which I'm not really fluent in any other languages, but if I were, would the meaning and impact of that phrase be the same? just because we're speaking it in another language. I mean, normally we would think of, well, yeah, the definition would be the same, but vibrationally, is it the same? Okay, is it the same? So then let's take it a step further. Let's say tonight I'm having a dream. And in the dream, I say, I am abundant in all things. Is it the same as me actually speaking it versus dreaming it? Or if somebody says it to me in a dream and I hear them say it, but I'm dreaming, is it the same thing? Or if we all just pause and take a moment of silence right now and think in our minds, I am abundant in all things without saying it. We just think it. Is it the same thing? If I write it down on a piece of paper and write out, I am abundant in all things, is it the same? If I'm reading a book and I come across that phrase, I am abundant in all things, is it the same? Or is it different? And so, it's a question that I'm kind of putting out there from a rhetorical perspective, just to kind of get you to think about how things that we normally don't think about, you know. Um, but I see value in pondering some of those things because 
if everything is energy, everything is vibration, and words have power, and we're controlled by thoughts, feelings, and emotions, then, and, you know, there are some who say that what we speak matters. You know, I grew up in a charismatic church, so, you know, you had name it and claim it and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but there's also precedent for that in other circles, new thought and metaphysics and those kinds of things. So if that's true, and I'm saying a phrase, reading a phrase, thinking a phrase, dreaming a phrase, hearing it, writing it, is it all the same? And uh, from an, like an energetic perspective, from a power perspective, from a flow perspective, or is it different? Now, here's, here's why I think all that matters. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of random. Um, but one of the reasons that I play into it, uh, play into a lot of that thought is because, you know, whenever we look at our genetics, and I'm just starting to get some of my DNA results back, and it's kind of curious to me. Uh, kind of fascinating and so you know we see the DNA results we see like if you do genealogy on your family uh, which you should I think it's pretty fascinating to know where we came from um, but you do genealogy research um, we can easily see how um, the DNA is attached to the genealogy research because that's really where we come from right but there are other things that exist in family trees, um, especially if you look at it from a higher perspective, that I've often wondered are connected. And it ties into the idea of branches, excuse me, branches and power flow. It ties into the idea of what I was just saying about if we say a word versus think it versus whatever. And that is like... Um, how over the years, like if you if you're a student of history at all, uh, we'll take England just as a great example, since most of us speak English. So there's some kind of a heritage connection there in some form or another. Or maybe English is just a second language you learn, whatever. Um, but you're still speaking it, so you have that connection. But whenever you you think of English and we think of our language today we think England English I'm speaking English even though American English is a little different than say um, British English versus Australian English or Irish English or whatever a lot of it's the same there are variations to the theme uh, and of course a lot of that comes from you know the British Empire back in the day uh, but whenever you start digging into the linguistics of it all, um, and I'm one of those weirdos that love to read word etymologies, you know, where words came from. And so you'll see, like, if you do an etymology on any given sentence that we speak in the English language, uh, you'll see a, a heavy influence of Old English or Anglo-Saxon, which in reality is Germanic. And so um, most of the English language has roots in German um, as opposed to other influences. And 
but there are also other words that are in there. You know, uh, some of our words are uh, Scandinavian based, um, you know, because of the Viking influence. Some of our words are um, French influence. Some of um, our words are Latin because of the Roman occupation. And uh, so as the different invasions took place in England, just using that as an example, um, over periods of time, different words were adopted. And so um, like just this morning, I was going through uh, a sentence just from my own curiosity again. And uh, right now there's a, there's a consensus of a language that they call Pi, Proto-Indo-European, which supposedly predates like German and English and all that kind of stuff because they've seen its influence in many, many, many different languages. Um, but even setting that aside, um, one of the things that I discovered is that, you know, most of the words in this sentence that I checked out and is a very common kind of sentence, I will eat dinner with my mother. Um, every word but one came from the Germans. You know, everyone has a German base to it. And um, uh, the only one that, that didn't was the word dinner, which came from old French. But I found that extremely fascinating. And so, you know, I've maintained for years and I've researched off and on with this for years is that um, you can really uh, see what's happening globally uh, within language and when certain words were adopted and uh, those kinds of things. And uh, some scientists have even taken it to the point where they will um, they will actually track uh, the evolution of words in a language very similar to how they track changes in our DNA structure based on intermarriage and, you know, all those kinds of things. And and I, whenever I saw that people were actually studying that, I thought, cool, because I often wondered about that uh, as well. You know, so if we have history that's actually happening, you know, the Vikings invading England in the 600s or 800s, um, you know, you have the Romans that occupy England for a set period of time, and then you have the Angles and the Saxons coming in from, you know, across the sea and and invading and settling and all of that time, their words are uh, being incorporated into the spoken language and everything is slowly adapting and uh, changing linguistically. But what is also happening? Well, they're intermarrying, right? Um, having kiddos and they're having kiddos and so on and so forth. Um, very often marriage was a form of domination or a uniting of kingdoms. You know, it was also a way of showing power over another people group. Um, and so you have the language changing. You have the, uh, the makeup, the DNA of the people changing. Um, and everything is connected. And so there's one of the things that I picked up on was um, even in my own family, you know, a lot of which comes from uh, Europe, um, England, and Ireland, uh, you start to trace those genetic roots, those DNA roots, and they line up with the um, 
the changes that happen in language. They line up with what's actually happening in history. And so to me, it's fascinating, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you get your DNA results and it's 4% Scandinavian and, you know, like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> you know, it's like, yay, Vikings. Um, but whenever you start lining those things up with what actually happened in history and what happened in language, um, it really gives you pause uh, because it shows that we really did come from something greater, you know, that something greater was really at play. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, because everything is energy, everything is vibration. Language is an expression of all of that. You know, what we say, we just think of language and communication is that, you know, we're talking, you know, so if we're talking to somebody on the phone and say, hey, guess what, I just got something versus texting it to the person, hey, guess what, I just got something, does they have the same meaning, going back to my earlier supposition? Um, normally, we would say off the cuff that it does, but does it really? I mean, there is something to speaking versus thinking, you know? Um, if, you know, whatever um, spiritual discipline you follow, uh, we could take the Bible, for instance, and it says right there, I mean, the whole book starts off with, in the beginning, you know, uh, and then goes on to say, and God said. It didn't say God thought or God texted or whatever. It said that he spoke. And whenever he spoke, something happened. And that kind of power dynamic isn't just in the Bible. I mean, it's pretty much in every spiritual discipline that exists. So there's definitely something to it, right? There's something there. Now, let's take all of that. And with that knowledge and those possibilities and wrap them into some other questions. Like... Um, and, and I'm going to use the term genetics, uh, not just from a perspective of um, genes, which is where the word comes from, or DNA. Um, but I'm, I want to use that phrase from the perspective of connection. Okay, like evolutionary uh, connection. Not evolution from the perspective of we all came from apes. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, and slightly insulting, but um, but evolution from the perspective of connection and change, because I think you know we can very easily see that language has changed over the years, you know, over the millennia. Um, the DNA has changed and adapted, and of course, history is constantly changing as well. So, with those in mind, how do emotions factor into it all? You know. Um, whenever we think of, uh, say, depression or happiness today, is it the same as it was 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago? Like if you go back to the ancient Egyptians and their hieroglyphs say that they were happy, you know, was their experience the same as us being happy today or did it evolve? And is it connected to language? Is it connected to our DNA? I'm getting to a point. Um, if we think about consciousness, we assume that, you know, consciousness today is like consciousness was 5,000 years ago, 
10,000 years ago, whenever, that, you know, we think these thoughts, we, um, we have dreams, you know, all of this kind of stuff, but is it really the same? And one of the reasons why I wonder about that is because we look at things like archetypes that exist in every culture, pretty much. And uh, archetypes are kind of like standards, if you're not sure what they are. They're, it's like the same thing that we see over and over and over again in mythology and stories. Um, every part of the human experience has different types of archetypes that are common, you know, like um, like a king versus a pauper, you know, the whole prince and pauper thing, like the hero's quest, which is a very, very common uh, archetype. And it doesn't really matter, like, uh, whether you're Native American or Irish or from South Africa, um, the hero's quest exists in some form whether it's in mythology or stories or experience or whatever, it, it's there. Those archetypes are there. So where did those come from? In the grand scheme of evolving DNA, evolving history, evolving language, uh, where did the archetypes come from? Was there some dude like uh, 12,000 years ago, depending on how you think about time, uh, but we'll say 12,000 or 20,000 years ago or whatever. And that guy who was like the progenitor of our race, you know, so the you know, all DNA goes back to him or we could even make it a female goes back to her. So everything traces back to her. So language comes from there. Our DNA comes from there. And one day, whoever this woman was, was sitting around, you know, having some iced tea, talking to aliens or God or whoever, and said, you know what would be really cool? If there was this person, and they're really having a rough time of it, but then they go on this journey to discover themselves, and an older person connects with them, and, you know, and all of a sudden from this person comes all these archetypes. Well, it's kind of ridiculous, you know, to think that. Um, I mean, I could, I can see the whole thing of, uh, you know, our DNA having a common origin, although uh, there's proof, scientific proof of that, of course. Um, but there's also an exception or two that's been popping up lately, which I find awesome and hilarious. Um, and, you know, from a Christian perspective, you could point to Adam and Eve. Don't quite know how I feel about that. Um, you could point to the idea of um, genetic experiments with aliens. Um, I would probably these days tend to lean more toward that direction. Um, but regardless of whatever it is, there's these things that we just kind of never think about or we take for granted that actually affect our lives in some very interesting ways. Um, and for one, I would like to know where they come from. You know, why? Why are there archetypes? Why is there power in language? Language is nothing more than vibration. We're using vibration to express. You know, if you do an etymology on the word mother, it's kind of funny. Um, it goes back to German, um, of course. 
as many English words do. And mother actually goes back even further to uh, the whole uh, Proto-Indo-European language, whatever that was. They've concluded that before there was German and French and Italian and all that stuff, that there was a common language that um, a lot of those languages evolved out of. Uh, but what's really interesting, especially with uh, mother, is that whenever you study the etymologies, it goes back to ma, which is one of the first words that a baby speaks. You know, so here's this kid, real little, you know, probably one of the easiest things to pronounce uh, out of anything that it could pronounce as it's starting to learn how to make its own vibrations right? We also finally know of as language. And it says ma. Well, it's easy because their mouth is closed and now it's open, you know, so ma. Very, very easy. So at some point in, uh, in the journey, somebody could have said, you know what? Uh, since this is the first word that our child says, and I'm the one who gave it birth, it came from me, Obviously, it's talking about me. You know, it's calling out to me. And maybe the baby is. Who knows? But it's the first, you know, other than like uh, crying, <laughs> it's like one of the first intelligible things that comes out of the baby's mouth. So we automatically assume that it's referring to its mother. But Ma had to come from somewhere. And that somewhere ultimately uh, gave rise to Ma, Mater, or Mortar, uh, to today's mother, you know, and, um, and it's all from just a simple vibrational expression that somewhere tens of thousands of years ago, some child made. And so now we just take it for granted, you know, uh, one of the most interesting, um, etymologies that I did, which, Again, I mean, we're talking about how words can affect things. I mean, think about if you're around somebody who's just cursing and they're angry and pissed off and they're just, you know, this real negative thing. How does that make you feel? Emotions, right? It affects us. Um, if somebody is very happy and upbeat and their eyes are bright and, you know, big smile on their face... How does that make you feel? It it feels lighter, doesn't it? It's like um, uh, energetically we feel up versus down. And uh, so there's there's definitely something to it. And of course, you could get into discussions about, um, you know, Maserai Emoto's experiments of speaking over water and then freezing it and photographing it and how, you know, uplifting words create a beautiful patterns in the ice uh, negative words created chaos. Um, you can look at different vibrational frequencies on metal plates and how it affects different um, things like sand or glycerin or whatever and how it forms patterns. So there's this commonality that exists there, right? But um, every so often you come across these unexplainables um, that I find incredibly curious you know, from a, is this affecting me in a weird way or not perspective, like, um, the word with, okay. So when we think of the word with, um, 
it actually comes from uh, Germanic, you know, Proto-Germanic. Um, and we think of with, we think of like, I am with you. I'm having lunch with Kristen. Um, you guys are here with me right now. And how do we take that to mean that you're like together, right? That we say, we think of with, and we're like together. I'm having, um, whenever I'm having dinner with Kristen, it means that in some form or another, she's there. Maybe it's not in physical form. Maybe we're having dinner at the same time and we're talking on Skype or the phone or whatever, but she's, it's together. But when you start digging into the etymology of the word with and the earlier definitions of the words where with came from, it means against. All the old definitions mean against. So it's that's like the exact opposite. You know, so whenever I say I'm with you, you know, and we even have these phrases, right, that we say either you're with me or you're against me. Right. But yet the earlier definitions of with were against. And you could say, well, that's what maybe it used to mean, but I don't mean that now. But there's a lot of things that we intend one way that's taken another. So, you know, is it affecting us in a weird way or not? I mean, probably not is my conclusion, but you never know. Um, that's just kind of uh, one of those weirdo kind of interesting things. But it's something that I think about. So then let's uh, go back and revisit the whole idea of um, archetypes, right? So we have other things that exist in our human experience um, of things constantly developing and changing and becoming different um, to, to be what it is today. Uh, and that's the idea of God. Um, or saviors, or spirit guides, or animal, guide, you know, spirit animals, mystical, magical creatures like fairies and gnomes and elves and stuff like that. How do they fit into the equation? Like, where did they come from? Um, are they connected to us somehow through genetics, meaning DNA? Um, are they automatically classified in the whole role of archetypes. There's always been gods. I mean, from an archaeological perspective, if you go to like Anatolia and Turkey and places like that, doesn't matter how far back you go and dig, there's always like fertility gods and all that kind of stuff. Over the years, of course, as we've uh, become more educated, we figured out that some of those um, are good and some of them not so much and I'm being facetious here, um, but still, you know, we have this as humans, um, this need for gods, this need for, you know, a higher power, um, helpers, um, or creatures to explain why things are going a certain way, you know, so we have like, um, you know, one of the most common archetypes, but also plays into gods and saviors is tricksters. You know, Native Americans, tricksters are very common, you know, ravens and wolves and different uh, creatures like that. Um, you could refer to Satan as a trickster, you know, the devil, um, uh, always trying to trick people. 
So is that something that's really going on or did we just develop that so that we could place the blame of something we've done elsewhere uh, rather than take responsibility for it ourselves? That's probably a really deep discussion right there, um, depending on your point of view. Um, but it, it bears thinking, you know, because we vilified certain things, uh, depending on what your belief system is. You know, um, spirit guides are bad if you're a Christian, you know, um, magic in its purest form is bad, you know, um, it's controlled by demons or whatever. Um, but in other cultures, it's not, you know, so who's right? You know, and each people group will say, well, I am, you know, which uh, isn't a good answer as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, because that's easy. And I mean, and granted, you know, I mean, I've shared my spiritual history, I guess, before, uh, but I'll say it again, just for the sake of it. I grew up in the church, you know, I was raised in the church, I was co-pastor of a church for a number of years. And youth pastor, I spoke every Sunday, except usually three out of four times a month. Um, and so I was very heavily involved with that. But um, I was also very curious and, you know, there were a lot of things that I questioned even from an early age, you know, and I'm not really one to fit into the mold of doing or believing something because that's what I was told, you know, because I said so was never really a good justification for me. Uh, I always saw it more as a cop out. Um, and so I'm very much not a status quo kind of person uh, because that just don't, it just don't jive with me. Um, you know, just because it's always been that way. A lot of people believe what they believe and they've never actually taken the time to explore if what they believe even makes sense or if it's true or whatever. It's one of the reasons why many humans are so easy to manipulate um, because they never take the time to do their homework. So they just fall in the line with the status quo. That is very much not me. I question everything and I think it's very healthy. It's one of the things I actually encouraged my parishioners to do when I spoke at church. You know, don't believe something just because I told you. Go do your own due diligence. Find out for yourself. You know, just because it's in the Bible, don't make it true. It's not a magical book. Um, just because the pastor tells you something is right or wrong doesn't make it true, um, regardless of religion, you know. Um, and so I always question everything, you know. Well, uh, and one of my common comebacks, and I still use it today, it's like, well, Jesus did this, or Muhammad did that, or whatever. It's like, well, you know, that may be true, um, but I wasn't there. <laughs> so, you know, neither were you. So, you know, we really can't say for certainty. But the reality is that all of those beliefs, you know, um, fit into who we are today. They're part of our makeup. Okay. So our makeup is, uh, in, a, in essence, a collective of a lot of different things that we could lump into a form of DNA. Okay. Who we are today is a makeup, yes, of our actual DNA uh, that comes down through millennia of people who, you know, came together in marriage or not had a child, 
that child had a child, so on and so forth, whisper down the row uh, until, boom, here we are. But we are also um, who we are as a result of spiritual genetics, you know, because um, belief systems have, have changed and evolved. Uh, if you look at Christianity, Christianity today is nothing like it was 2,000 years ago. Nothing like it was. Uh, you bring in, you know, if you do the history research and everything, you start studying the different councils and the decisions that they made, like this book is in, but that book is out, and here's why. You can see political motivation. Um, you can see um, bias against women. Um, which is very common in those times. So, oh, this is talking about a woman. It appears she's more important than Jesus or more important than this apostle. So we can't include that. So we got to edit that out because that doesn't support what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, and so, you know, so you have this constant evolution of what we consider Christianity today. Um, but the same is true with every other belief system as well. Um, so there's this spiritual genetics that you're, you know, you get input through books you read, through experiences that you have, um, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, if somebody has a dream where they're physically burning in hell and they can feel the pain and everything, they're going to be kind of hard to dissuade that there isn't something to that, you know, as opposed to somebody seeing a miracle or seeing an angel or something like that, pretty hard to dissuade. But those experiences impact our spirituality, you know? Um, have a recurring dream about you being a, a pilot in World War II and you're shot down in the Pacific and you remember experiences and names and all that kind of stuff and, and you wake up and you come out from it and there's stuff that you just shouldn't know, but you know, and whenever you do the historic research, you come to find out that it's all exactly the way you remember it, quote unquote. It's kind of hard to challenge that, right? And so uh, it would be awesome to say that spirituality is cut and dry, but it's not. Any more than our um, genealogy is cut and dry. It's not, right? Even though it, it's funny, I find genealogy especially funny because... Like, you would think whenever you have two people get together for whatever reason, married or not, have a child, that child grows up, gets together with somebody, has a child, that child grows up, gets together with somebody, has a child, on and on and on it goes. Like, that's a very distinct pattern. So you would think that it would be really easy to track that, except that it's not. You know, there's all these weird variations that seem to happen. Unexpected things like your lawn guy showing up right when you're wanting to teach. <laughs> um, and so there's that, you know, unexpected things happen. Um, and so one of the things that I've learned is like for us today, you know, we think of Thor, uh, let me close my window here real quick. So it's a little less loud, but 
like we think of Thor, and the first thing that comes to mind is like Marvel, like the comic books and the movies and all of that, and you know that's our idea of Thor. But there was a time when Thor was a very real deity, like Thor was a big deal, you know, beyond the comic books, um, or Zeus or Juno or whoever. And so we think about those things, and they're a really big deal. Um, but they impacted humanity at some point there. There was an effect that, um, that influenced us from a uh, spiritual perspective. You know, you even look at um, uh, the impact of Christianity uh, and that the, you know, Rome brought into Christianity. Uh, there were a lot of uh, heathen belief systems and those kinds of things. And they had these gods, you know, Greek gods and all this kind of stuff hanging out in the temples that are like, well, we can't have this, you know, because we have this new religion and everybody needs to follow it. And so, you know, it's like, well, you know, here's this girl um, and she has this kid and, you know, it's... Uh, you know, virgin birth and all that kind of stuff. Um, they call her something else, but uh, let's call her Mary now. She is now Mary, and the little tyke is now Jesus. And so they go ahead and reassign names. And I'm I'm sharing this off the cuff, but if you go in and do the research, you'll see that that's exactly what happened. They actually did that. They just renamed everybody. And those renamings happen multiple times. You know, they say, oh, well, we're celebrating Jesus' birth on December 25th because that's when he was born. No, he wasn't. He wasn't born in December. You know, maybe around April or May, perhaps. But that's when he died and rose from the dead. So, you know, got to get things in all of its proper order. Um, and so we see here's this guy. You know, he's virgin birth. He grows up. He has... Uh, he turns water into wine. He has all these disciples following him around. He does miracles. You know, eventually he he dies, but he raises from the dead and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you know. But that's not the only Savior story where that takes place. There's a Savior story exactly like that with disciples and water into wine and everything that happened 2,000 years before Jesus was born. You know, just, and again, I'm just using these as examples. So all of that plays into our spiritual genetics, you know, um, who we are today spiritually, together with who we are today physically. Tie into that our emotions, our other belief systems, the th stuff that makes us who we are today, the language that we speak, even those influences are all in all of that stuff. And so it's really easy to separate those out and say, oh, well, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. But, you know, hopefully through this discussion a little bit, you can see where that's just not true. Everything is connected. Everything is related in ways that perhaps we don't even understand. And, you know, there could come a... Uh, a time where some weirdo looking alien shows up in a big old ship and says, Tony, I am your father, you know, and then, a, you know, be an all new holy crap moment. 
I mean, I've often wondered that, right? Um, here I am getting my DNA sequenced, uh, which is kind of cool from a technical or technology perspective. Uh, and we can make assumptions based on, um, you know, the full genome that people have developed through research uh, that this part means, you know, I have more likelihood of getting red hair versus brown hair or blue eyes versus brown eyes or whatever, or I may, you know, my body type might be uh, one that's a little more stocky versus slender or, you know, dairy probably isn't the best thing for me or whatever. And so we think we have the, the whole DNA thing figured out because we've sequenced it and we've done comparative studies. And it's like, oh, well, this person has, uh, you know, 0.7% of the same DNA as that person, so they must be related. And they probably are because we're all related in some form or another. Um, but how do we know, like, that some of that DNA wasn't added by aliens or whatever, or, I mean, maybe the Bible stories really are true. And, uh, God created the original DNA script in, uh, Adam and Eve. And, uh, you know, we really did all come from there, but, uh, so what caused the mutations, right? We have mutations. It's proven scientifically that you can even change your own DNA. Um, we have friends that have done that, actually, um, affecting health issues and those kinds of things. So in the randomness of what I'm sharing today, <laughs> my overarching point is that there's a lot of things in your life, in my life, that seems unrelated and random that may not be at all. Okay. Um, and how that can often play out is in our experience. You know, you've been around folks that are traditionally negative. Like you listen to their conversation. Um, they're always talking negative. Um, and it just seems like everything that they touch turns to crap. Um, if there is such a thing as bad luck, they have the mother load of it. Um, you know, it's just like everything seems to go wrong with them and, and, you know, they feel healthy and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden they trip and fall and break their leg. Um, and then they get that cured and they get, you know, start having problems in their stomach and all of a sudden they're diagnosed with some weird disease. Um, there's people like that and there's people that are the exact opposite, that they're always upbeat. They always take things in stride. They never seem to get sick, live a life of abundance, you know, all of those things. And then there's people at all points in between, right? Um, so is all of that just happenstance? You know, it just seemed to work out that way. Um, or do we have control over all of that? And that's kind of my point. You know, if there's anything to vibration, if there's anything to energy flow, and we've seen how there's definitely flow up through language, which is nothing more than an expression of vibration or frequency. Um, we've seen that there's an energy flow up through our genetics, up through our spiritual beliefs. 
right? Up through our emotions and all that kind of stuff. So if there's a natural flow and progression through all those different areas that make us who we are, can we control it or not? By just changing how we feel or just changing what we say on a consistent, regular basis, can we change it? And if we are able to change it at that level and make a, a solid choice that, you know what, moving forward, uh, I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm going to choose to live a life of love and light and all of that kind of stuff. I'm going to choose to live at, to borrow from metaphysics, a higher vibrational level. I'm going to choose those things. And then, um, you know, a husband and wife both make those decisions and then they have children. Is their children's genetics affected by that choice? Or do the children just pick that up by osmosis because they see it in their parents? Or is it coming from the words that they're hearing and saying themselves? Like, if there really is something to um, our words, positive words, being able to turn water crystals into these beautiful um, geometric patterns, and negative words creating chaos in these frozen uh, bits, as you know, we've seen some evidence of. How is that affecting us, being that we're made up mostly of water? And if it does affect us the same way, does that mean that we can change who we are by what we're saying, by what we believe in, by you know any of those kinds of things? And some of you I know, or I haven't looked at the questions yet, but some of you I know are probably saying. Uh, absolutely. And I would tend to agree with you. I mean, I, Chris and I both uh, have a constant commitment to um, living life as positively as we can. And, you know, there's always stuff that happens. But uh, for the most part, that's our commitment. And so whenever we notice that something is off, I equate it very much so with, uh, with energy, positive, negative, you know, I tend to not use good and bad because it's too subjective, but positive and negative, it is what it is, you know, cause and effect, it is what it is. Um, and so like, here's a really good example. Um, we noticed some very interesting things going on, uh, in our businesses and all of that, um, over the last two weeks, especially not just our business, but in other areas as well, uh, where we were feeling more anxious than well, I would say the normal, but I normally don't feel anxious at all. So uh, like any anxiety that shows up in my life is abnormal because I just, that's not how I work. Um, so for me to feel stress or to feel anxiety, something is going on, you know, and it's very visceral. You know, you can feel like you can feel it in your arms uh, or like depression. You know, you can physically feel that at times. And so for me, it's a really good indicator. Whenever something gets to the point where I can physically feel anxiety and stress and those kinds of things, something is wrong. And um, and we were both kind of feeling that. And so uh, last night, I put together some sage and tobacco and stuff, and we went through our entire house and smudged the house and spoke uh 
positive uh, uh, positive things over the house, like our own expectations, we strongly encourage negative things to go. <laughs> and uh, and when we were done with that, it took us you know twenty minutes, half hour, whatever. Um, when we were done with that, it was different. Uh, you could uh, feel the difference. And um, so what's that have to do with anything? You know, I mean, I guess it kind of lends into my point of there's a lot more to this game than we realize. And that just the simplest of things can actually have a profound effect. Now, we could have this discussion. Did the smoke from the sage and tobacco and, and sweetgrass, does it have magical properties? Um, I don't think so. I don't think it has any magical properties. Um, my Native American cousins may beg to differ. Um, and I'm fine with that. I mean, I have a respect for those plants. But um, is it magical? I don't know. I mean, there's scientific evidence that shows that smoke from those particular kind of uh, plants can affect, uh, you know, ions in the air, positive, negative, whatever. So, you know, scientifically, um, there is evidence that can show that it can change a negative situation and make it more positive because it's canceling things out at a, an electron level, you know, at an ion level. So there's scientific precedence to it. Um, is it that I believe that the smoke has power? Maybe. I, I mean, I could see that a little bit. Um, you know, the whole placebo effect uh, certainly is a real thing. So it could be just my belief that us walking through the house with the smoke and now all of a sudden things feel lighter because we took an action and therefore in our mind we've concluded that things have changed. Um but to me, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, and I can psychoanalyze the daylights out of pretty much anything, as you can probably guess. Um, at the end of the day, I'm really not interested in whether the smoke is magical, whether it has scientific properties, whether it just, com just comes down to my belief system or not. Um, I'm interested in whether or not it works. Like, if it works, it works. I don't really care if I pray in Jesus name and it works. I'm good with it. Okay. Like done. I got the result that I really desired and that I needed. I'm good with it. So is prayer important to me? Absolutely. You know, because it works is the speaking positive thoughts and, and living life in a higher energetic plane or, being positive and upbeat and focus constantly on all of that. Um, does that work? That's been my experience. It works. So, you know, doesn't mean that I'm going to uh, go onto Facebook or some other place and uh, gripe and complain and woe is me and life sucks and blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you really think is going to happen positively if you do that all the time? You know, if you worry and complain uh, these are all words that we're using. Remember, we're talking about language. We're talking about spirituality and how that affects us. So, you know, if you're constantly worrying, constantly stressed, constantly 
you know, living in this place of anxiety, how exactly is that going to positively impact your life? It's not. Okay. Now, it's not to say that, you know, saying I live a life of abundance over and over again as a mantra is going to magically change your life. I don't believe that either. I honestly, I think a lot of it comes down to how we feel about ourselves and the um, things that we've chosen to let go. You know, like if somebody has wronged us in the past, no matter how horrific, you know, we have a choice to rewrite history not from the perspective of what happened or what didn't happen, but from how it impacts us. And that's how I see genetics, DNA, my family tree. I can choose how much that affects me, you know, um, in a very real way. Um, I think I've shared a little bit of this before, but uh, my dad, who uh, passed away little over nine years ago um he was conceived as a part of a rape my grandmother was raped by the person she worked with or worked for um this is her story and i have for the longest time i didn't believe it at all i'm still a little bit on the fence with it because it could have been consensual but there in some of my research i found some indicators that she may have been 100 percent truthful. Uh, but it ultimately doesn't matter. If we go to the story, uh, my dad was conceived as a result of rape. Um, and uh, because of that, uh, it created some very interesting situations with my dad. One was that um, he grew up not knowing who his father was. Um, my grandmother uh, moved away and my dad was raised by my great grandmother. And he would often, um, they lived on a farm and he would often go out to the farm lane and cry for his mom. Um, I knew, I know that story because dad shared it with me over and over and over again. Um, and so as a result of those experiences with dad, um, he grew up very, very much disconnected from family. Uh, very withdrawn, very quiet in a lot of respects. Um, if you met him, he would talk to you. I mean, that's just kind of how he was. But he was always looking back, you know, always looking at the past. And um, it had a huge, profound effect on his life. And it had a profound effect on my life. I mean, because whenever I came along, you know, he married my mom. And then, you know, a year later, I come come along into the world. And, uh, you know, mom told me a story about how whenever I was really little, uh, dad would never do anything with me. He would never play with me or anything like that. And she would yell at him and say, why don't you play with your son? You know, I was like, why? Well, never had a dad. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't, you know, I don't know what that means. And mom told him, well, do with Tony what you wish your dad had done with you. But he never got it, really. I mean, and no disrespect to my dad, okay, because we did do a lot of things together. And we did share a lot of things together, like photography and model rocketry and a lot of things like that. 
Um, but I watched how those family experiences affected him. Now, could he have moved past them? Absolutely. I believe that he could have. You know, it was a matter of choices, but his his language, his emotions, his beliefs, all of that had a profound effect on him. And uh, I think he could have changed a lot of that. He may still be alive today as a result of that. Um, I mean, he died from cancer, brain, a brain tumor, and it appears that a lot of that happened due to exposure to certain chemicals uh, from a job that he had. Um, that that's what triggered it because it's not in his family anywhere. Um, and some of the stuff that he worked with was known to cause cancer. So, you know, there's that. Uh, but yet, um, very different kind of experience. My mom, on the other hand, very positive childhood, uh, you know, uh, all of those kinds of things. And uh, what's interesting is that, like, my family on my mom's side, um, very back hills, farm, you know, farm folks, but definitely back hills, West Virginia. And, you know, so, like, whenever you hear that, like, Appalachia, West Virginia, Kentucky, all of that, like, what comes into your mind, <laughs> you know, <laughs> talking about types of people and stuff. Um, that really was my family. Okay. <laughs> when we would go visit them, good Lord. Um, it was kind of crazy. And, uh, I had a conversation with my, um, uh, my sister one time we were down visiting some of our West Virginia relatives and she said, she's like, you know, Every time we go down to visit them, they act like we think we're better than they are. And I said, well, and I'm like 12 or 13 when this conversation is happening. So, and I said, well, there's a reason for that. And she's like, why? What is it? I said, well, because we are. <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. But are we really better than them? No. You know, they're, you know, the DNA that's in them is in me. What's the difference? The difference is beliefs. The difference is experiences, you know, um, and how we address the different things that we chose to believe and the environment that we grew up in and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you can think that language doesn't really have any effect on your life. You can think that you know, uh, DNA or your family or whatever doesn't really affect you other than information where you came from. You can think that your feelings and emotions, um, you know, and what you witnessed feelings and emotions wise from your mom or your grandmom, that that doesn't have any effect on you. Um, and that's awesome if you choose to think that, but it doesn't change the fact that it does, you know, and, uh, that's my challenge to you today in wrapping this thing thing up. And I want to get into some of the questions here is, you know, I'd love for you to just take a look at things that perhaps aren't quite the way you like and start to wonder why, honestly wonder why, or if things, certain areas of your life are the way they are and you love that part of who you are. Why? You know, why is that going right and the other isn't? You know, what's really going on there? 
I mean, is there really anything to all of this or isn't there? You know, uh, and Chris and I have this discussion. Is there really anything to thinking positive and speaking positive and keeping our emotions in check? So, you know, all of that kind of stuff, or isn't there? Is it bullshit or it is, or isn't it? I mean, really, one way or the other. Um, and I'm inclined to go with it's not BS. But you're welcome to draw your own conclusion. My goal in this show is just to raise questions and thoughts to get you to think about things from a different perspective. That really is the goal of this show from a lot of different angles, a lot of different directions. You don't have to believe everything that I believe. I wouldn't expect you to. I'd be kind of shocked, actually. Um, but if I can get you to think about something a little bit different or confirm what you suspected all along but weren't sure of, then my work here is done. You know, that's really my goal. Sometimes I'll say stuff that I don't even believe personally just to provide, you know, to play devil's advocate, I guess you could say. Um, but anyway, I'm going to take a quick drink and then go through some of the comments and questions. All right. Uh, Steve asks, is there any recommendations for genealogy chart software longer than seven tiers? Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, a lot of that in the course, which, by the way, if any of you are interested uh, in the genealogy course that I'm starting this week, uh, you can go to uh, genealogydetectives.xyz. I'll just put that in the chat area. Um, if I can actually spell it right, detectives.xyz. Um, what I'm currently using, Steve, is, uh, there's a couple that I'm using. One is, uh, called Roots Magic that is pretty cool, Roots Magic 7. And I have it way beyond seven tiers, so I'm pretty sure it can handle it. Um, and shares, I just watched a show that told how all languages are connected vibrationally and therefore energy-wise across all the world's different languages, and they all relate to animal languages too. Uh, if you can send me that info, what that show is, I'd love to see it. Um, that sounds pretty, pretty fascinating. I had a native elder uh, once who spoke over me, prayed over me, um, said that uh, one of the things that she said was that I would come to understand the language of the birds. I didn't know what that means. Honestly, I still don't know really what that meant. And it's been, gosh, 15 years ago. Uh, but one thing that I can tell you, uh, and I don't know if it, again, it was a trigger because of what she said or whatever, but if we're like driving down the road randomly, just going along, doesn't matter what I'm doing, listening to, talking, doesn't matter. Um, like if there's a hawk or an eagle, um, I immediately can sense it. 
like I just naturally turn my eyes to it and there it is. Uh, I don't know how I can't say like this magical feeling comes over me or anything. I just know. I know when they're there and I don't know how. I mean, <laughs> it kind of baffles Kristen sometimes because we're driving along and I'm like, oh, look, look, look. She's like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like big hawk back there, you know, driving along and I just naturally turn my head to the left and there he's sitting, you know. So I don't know if it was related to what she said or she just planted that in my mind or if it's a real thing. I don't know. All I know is we have a bunch of bird feeders. It drives the cats crazy. They make a lot of noise. I don't understand what they're saying, but um, it is entertaining at least. Oh, interesting. Lorda says, uh, my first language is Spanish. <clears throat> but since I was born in the U.S., my English is now equally strong, if not stronger. Anyway, anyhow, I'm fluent in both. Uh, for sure, there are concepts that I can convey in English that I cannot convey in Spanish and vice versa. So if you only know, uh, if you know only one language, you're missing conceptual thoughts that exist, but you really can't understand because you don't have a word or phrase for it. It's a weird thing whole concepts that are just that just aren't there uh, that aren't understood by someone who doesn't speak that particular language yeah I, I could believe that it's really fascinating too um, if you uh, do a study on indigenous languages that are verb based um, it's radical because there are some some languages that are entirely verb based. And so the language is much more conceptual than uh, English noun, verb, noun kind of thing, because it's all verb. And so as a result, their worldview is radically different. They see the world different than we do just because their language is different. So that's going to have a profound effect on their belief system, um, all of that, right? And so uh, an example that I often give is, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll say a phrase, um, the horse is running through the field, which is a very obvious noun verb noun, horse running field, horse is running through the field, through the field, excuse me. But in a verb based language, uh, horse is not a noun. It's an action word. And if you think about it, a horse is a living creature right? Uh, you know, there's all this stuff going on, blood circulation, nerves, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not a stretch to see how a horse could be a verb. Um, the field is a verb because, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the field. Uh, the grass is growing, there's little bugs running around, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the horse is interacting. So that's action, right? The horse is interacting. Running is a verb. It's motion. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, this creature that we're watching is having a horse experience. It's being a horse, uh, interacting with a field that's being a field, you know. Now, we can look at that somewhat subjectively as Western learners and say, oh, well, I can kind of see how that could be interesting, but we can't because our brain don't work that way. Um, we're still stuck in this noun verb noun world. And so as a result, they're always going to see the world different than us. 
and that's okay and it's incredibly cool but i yeah i could totally believe that lordis i just like there's the old joke running around you know that somebody who speaks three languages is trilingual and somebody who speaks two languages is bilingual and someone who speaks one language is english you know american <laughs> that's that's probably me uh, Mavis says archetypes equal patterning and attempt to understand humans, animals, events. Don't you think? Um, yeah, there's definitely a relational uh, a pattern connection there for sure. Um, there, it might be another interesting discussion sometime down the road here to just talk about pattern. Um, it really plays into what we talked about today in a very real uh, way, uh, patterns especially if you take patterns and vibration and move into sacred geometry and stuff. Holy cow. It can be a lot of fun. Um, I'm just going to kind of pick and choose through these because there's a lot and we're already quarter after the hour. Uh, Kathleen says, Goddess only appears... Uh, a few tens of thousands of years ago, and only in certain cultures, humans with modern brains have existed for at least 250,000 years. And uh, during almost all that time, they were animist. Animists do not have gods. Um, it's after agriculture begins that the goddesses and later gods really take over. Yeah, um, I've definitely seen that too. And I've done a lot of um, study along that line. I think I shared in the uh, genealogy webinar that I taught the other night about, you know, or maybe it was last week on this show, I forget, um, about the study that I did years, years ago on Mother Goddess. Uh, incredibly fascinating um, how that came to be and why. It actually kind of makes sense. If you think about it, you put seeds into the ground and they start growing stuff. I mean, it makes sense, right? Um, but... Uh, whenever you really explore spirituality and um, religion, um, you know, as objectively as possible, it's pr a pretty fascinating uh, story. Uh, Thumper asked, uh, where do we find past Nerd Unscripted webinars? Just go to uh, Nerd Unscripted. Uh, I guess it's dot com. <laughs> um, I guess I don't actually have a, uh, we'll try here. If you just go to uh, nerdunscripted.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll see here where it says replays on SoundCloud, also available on iTunes. This is where they are. And so like if you click on the SoundCloud one, for instance, it brings you to the playlist. Okay, so there's no webinar replay per se. I'm basically handling the replays as podcasts. So this address is soundcloud.com forward slash nerd unscripted. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Lorda says, my Thor is very real. Yeah, I thought you might say that. <laughs> Thor is the name of her husband. <laughs>
So several of you have asked about changing, um, changing your own DNA. Um, there, I don't want to take a lot of time to tell the story, but maybe I'll have uh, invite this person on for a future show. Um, but there's a friend of ours, Kristen's and mine, uh, Joey, who had some uh, very, I, I forget now, it might have been like MS or something, but very specific uh, disease. I don't, maybe it wasn't MS. It was something. Um, and uh, it was genetic. It was a genetic disorder. And uh, they tested him for it, found, you know, the markers and everything. And he decided that he was going to figure out how to get rid of this thing. Um, and so he focused on, and I don't remember the whole story now of how he did it. That's why it may make sense for me to invite him on. Um, but he focused specifically on changing his own genetics, you know, through things that he said, thoughts, feelings, you know, all of that. And, uh, over time he did it. Uh, he went back and was tested specifically for the disease that he had and the markers that were there before were gone and they uh, defined it as a medical miracle but he did it very deliberately and there's other stories that I've heard second or third hand uh, that talked about similar thing but uh, in his case I heard it straight from him and he shared what he did and how he did it and all that kind of stuff but Maybe I'll reach out to him and see if he wants to come on sometime. I think it'd be a fascinating discussion. Uh, Kathleen asks, are you familiar with the writings of Florence Scovelshed? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, interesting. Uh, Mavis shares uh, on negative energy. My oncologist explained that my cancer would have started about eight years earlier. And that was during an extremely negative time with my former husband. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, extremely powerful. <laughs> Frank says it's all controlled by Thanos. True story, right? especially if you watch the movie. <laughs> um, Lourdes asks, what are your thoughts on overcoming anxiety? Um, you know, one of the things, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. I'd love to say that all of them are, you know, like in and done uh, kind of things. I used to be very anxious, very stressful. Um, I mean, that's just how I was quote unquote wired, even though I wasn't, but I was just very much that way years ago. It drove me crazy. Like when I first started my online business, holy cow, um, I was like the king of warriors, you know, and um, I had an epiphany uh, one day and, you know, call it divinely inspired. I think it probably was, but in this epiph in this epiphany, this thought came to me, a question that asked, 
how is your worrying and stress serving you? Like, how is it making you better? And I mean, immediately I said, it's not. And I mean, there were times where like, I remember standing in my dining room and feeling that descend over me like a cloak. I mean, it was almost physical feeling. Like I could feel it just coming down over me very often. Like what some people experience with fibromyalgia, um, it felt like that and it would freak me out. Like I would just like instant anxiety, um, panic attacks and stuff like that. And, um, one of the things that really was a saving grace for me was, um, gratitude. Um, and it would, it had to be a conscious effort because, uh, I would, my mind would so quickly go back to stress and anxiety and worry. Yeah. But what if this happens and, you know, or this happened and I can't control it, you know? And, you know, and so there was this constant mantra of give thanks for what you, uh, stop focusing on what you don't have and give thanks for what you do. That was the mantra that kept running through my head. And, um, so I noticed that whenever I was giving thanks, whenever I was speaking those things out, the anxiety would stop because you can't think one thing and speak another. I mean, your brain basically has to shut up to hear what your mouth is saying. And so there were times where anxiety was so strong where I was constantly speaking, you know, just to keep my head quiet enough so that I could, you know, function. And, uh, I mean, we're talking 12 or 13 years ago now. Uh, so I got a lot of practice in, um, and especially, well, I actually started practicing that around nine years ago after my dad died, but, um, it worked. And one of the things that I discovered is over time that developed habit of giving thanks and staying in a position of gratitude and really keeping on task with my thoughts and feelings and everything, um, I began to change. And so now, I mean, I'm a very calm, relaxed person, like 99% of the time, you know, unless you try to run me off the road, <laughs> then I probably won't be. Um, but I have people who like to be around me just because I'm calming, just physically being in proximity to me. They say that they find it calming. Uh, other people will listen to my webinars just because my voice is soothing to them, which I don't understand at all. I mean, I do, but I don't. Um, and so it, it takes time, uh, in some cases, but it can be, that is a battle that can be won. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Anne says, I think it was the newest Nova show on PBS. I have to dig around and check that out. Um, as far as the book covers course, Doris, it's still available. You know, if you received any emails from me about that, all you have to do is find them and click on the link. It's really that simple. Uh, you, one thing that I'll say here, Doris brings up a really interesting point. 
understand that just because you haven't gotten a reply from uh, from me or my support, uh, and this goes for pretty much any internet marketer that's out there, doesn't necessarily mean that we're not responding. Okay? Especially these days because of privacy issues and all that kind of stuff. A lot of Gmail, uh, or not Gmail, uh, email service providers filter very heavily messages that come into your inbox. There's a lot of stuff that you're never even seeing, especially if you're using certain services like Yahoo or AOL, uh, Live.com, um, some of those. They so heavily filter uh, email that, you know, I have customers that swear up and down that I never got in touch with them, and I have physical proof that I did. And it's just because it's not even like making it to your spam folder. It's never even getting to you. It's like Yahoo is notorious for that. They so have, if I find out anybody has a Yahoo account, I like give up right away. It's like, this ain't going to happen. You're never going to get my email. So like if you have a Yahoo account, do everybody a favor and get a Gmail account. At least Gmail isn't quite as bad because Google's out to control and own the world. So they let stuff through. Um, but just because you haven't heard from us doesn't mean we haven't responded. It just means you have crappy email, <laughs> but yeah, all the emails that I sent out Doris, uh, and the post that I made in Facebook about that covers package, it's still available. I haven't raised the price yet. Oh, very cool, Steve. Yeah. I'd love to see that your uh, bears. Yeah, the replays, um, I'll put it in the chat box thumper for sure. All right. Uh, Mavis says, excellent session, Tony. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, the location-based energy stuff, Mavis, was last week. Um, that's what I talked about last week. And so um, that replay is, um, well, you can see it on the screen right now, actually. Um, location-based energetic trauma um, I talked about last week. So there you go. Um, that's all I have, folks. Thank you all very much for joining me here today. Um, not quite sure what rabbit hole we'll go down next week. Who knows? Uh, might be something fun in, for a change. <laughs> We've been talking about a lot of crazy heavy stuff. So um, we'll see what comes out for next week. But I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Have an awesome one. And uh, we'll reconnect here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Um, if you are going to join me for the genealogy course, we're going to have a blast with that. Uh, that starts this coming Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So anyway, have an awesome week. We'll talk again soon.